would, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 19. If you don't um, have a Bible, just simply raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, simply keep the one that is given to you as our gift to you that you can continue to read and grow and to allow God to minister to your heart his incredible truths. Where we are this morning, on Wednesday, we begin to enter into the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John as we've gone through this book. And as we've journeyed through this Gospel of John, we've seen amazingly Jesus revealing himself as God. This is unique from all the other Gospels. Matthew shows him as a king. Mark shows him as a servant. Luke shows him as a man doing the things he does as a man, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But John distinctly points him out as God. This is where Jesus gives you those seven I am statements, where he so wonderfully makes those statements where God had initially revealed himself to Moses, where he said, listen, I am is sending you to the children of Israel. And as he would make that statement, then Jesus would literally take that statement where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am that door. I am that good shepherd. And, and he would continually to, to direct that where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Abide in me. And so as he would make those statements, he would literally be pointing himself literally as God. I and the Father are one. And as we came into this 19th chapter, this is that portion where no longer is he there being before Caiaphas and Annas. This is apart from where he went before Herod. This is simply the discussion that he has with the governor of Judea, Pilate. Pontius Pilate. And, and Pontius Pilate has this, this way of trying to direct this situation. And it comes to this header. It comes to the accumulation where in verse 10, Pilate, in a sense being frustrated, makes a declaration. Now, now I, I want you to recognize and think about this for just a moment before I read this passage. This is Pontius Pilate speaking to Jesus Christ. This is a man speaking to God. Now, now, now think about who God is. God is the one who holds the universe in the span of his hand. And where is man in that universe? Well, there's a speck within a speck within a speck within a speck of a speck. That's man. This is Pontius Pilate saying to God, and this is what he says in verse 10. Pilate said to him, Jesus Christ, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and I have power to release you? I love the fact that here's a man speaking to God and says, who are you, God? Don't you know that I have power? Kind of a joke. The word of God isn't a joke, but the statement itself, Pilate's understanding of who he thinks he really is, is kind of a joke. And I want you to understand that what we're looking at here this morning is a distinction of two things. 
Pilate here is making the statement, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? The intent is this, that even though you're innocent, I have the power to crucify you. And even though you're guilty, I have the power to release you. Do you understand that Pilate is saying outside of the law, I can do what I want to do. Outside of the, the directives, I am sovereign, I have authority, I have power. And as he's making that statement where he says, I have power, I want you to understand that he's been declaring over and over in this 19th chapter. And as we looked on Wednesday, Pilate was saying, listen, this is an innocent man. I find no fault in him. But at the same time, what is he going to do? Although he's innocent, Pilate is going to condemn him to death. Now, when God is speaking to men, one of two things, Pilate himself is declaring, I'm sovereign. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. I'm the governor. I'm the one who's in charge. And how often do we have that mindset, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in charge of what I want to say. I'm in charge of what I want to do. And God, regardless of your word, regardless of your authority, regardless that you're God, get off the throne of my life. Let me sit on the throne of my life and I will dictate what I want. Why? Because I have the power. I have power to make the choices. I have power to do what I want. And it's interesting that we're going to look at this question. Is Pilate sovereign where he really has the power, or is he a steward? What's a steward? Sovereignty means I can do what I want, when I want, how I want it. A steward means this, that I am under the authority of another. And what he directs me, that I do. Do you understand? A steward in a house is not the owner of the house. He's not the master of the house. He's a servant within the house, given certain directives, given certain rules, given certain things that the master wants done. And he is not his own. He's not the master of the house. Now, he can do what the master gives him authority to do, but only up to that. Remember there in the book of Genesis, there was a man by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was initially just rejected by his brothers, hated by his brothers. He was the favorite of his father, and his brothers wanted to kill him. But they thought, hey, let's not kill the kid. Let's profit off the kid. Let's sell him as a slave. And eventually, he went down to Egypt, and he was purchased by a man named Potiphar. Now, as Potiphar had purchased Joseph, he put him in his house, and he made him a steward of his whole house. He said, God has given you wisdom. God has given you insight. And listen, I don't even know what I have. Only you know everything that I have. And you keep the books and you direct the house and you do all these things. So Pilate or so Potiphar had given Joseph authority over his house. Now within the situation and within the event, scripture declares this. Potiphar's wife had a thing for Joseph. And she wanted to tell Joseph, I want you to lie with me. And Joseph said, there's no way that I'm going to do that. Now, now your husband has given me authority over the whole house. But you're his. 
and I have no authority to touch you, and so I can't do that. Well, she still insisted, and in so much so that she grabbed Joseph by his coat. He just left his garment, ran out of the house, and I want nothing to do with this. Well, she being scorned went to her husband and says, this, this Hebrew, this man, he tried to lie with me. Potiphar apparently knew something because he didn't condemn Joseph to death, but he just sent him into prison. But do you understand what a steward is? You have authority only with what the master of the house gives you authority over and nothing more. You can't take authority upon yourself. But Pilate here so amazingly makes this declaration to God. And, and I find it so interesting where he makes that statement and he, he says to God, think about this, don't you know that I have power? It's so amazing. Telling God, don't you know that I can choose what I want to choose? You can, but I don't think it's always the wisest thing. But here Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power? It's interesting that in Christendom, there are two things that, that we as Christians, we sort of look to for guidance. First and foremost, it's the scripture above all things. But there's a statement called the Nicene Creed. It's something that, that through the councils, and, and what it says in the Nicene Creed is this. It says that the Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. The Apostles' Creed says something very similar, that the Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, really depicting that Pontius Pilate, he was accountable for what he did. Now, although he was accountable, I want you to understand that he made a choice. His wife says, have nothing to do with that just man. I had a dream and I'm troubled because of him. Over and over, he told the Jews, you take him, you deal with him according to your law. And they gave him back. He sent him to Herod, you deal with him. You're, you're, you're the king here. He sent him back. And, and amazingly, all the time, he came back to Pilate, back to Pilate, saying, you cannot not make a choice. You can't push Jesus off. And I think it's important to recognize that that word goes to every single one of us who's not only here, but who hears this message, that you cannot put who Jesus is and his authority over your life and put it off to the side. You have to make a decision. Either he's God or he's not. Either he has authority to direct your life or he doesn't. Either he went to the cross and died for your sins and you accept that gift that he's taken away your sin and he's given you a gift of righteousness that you can now approach God boldly. You either accept that or you say, or I don't. But you only have this. You have the power to say you have power. But when it comes right down to it, understand that God is sovereign. And you have to recognize that if you accept Jesus Christ, you accept not only that he's your savior, but that he's your Lord. He's both Lord and Savior. And here, Pilate is speaking to God. And what do you say to God? Now, not only what do we say to God here in worship and here in church, where, okay, God, you're sovereign, but what do I say to God when I go to work on Monday and I'm not in church? What do my actions say to God? Do my actions say that I have authority? I have power. I can do what I want to do versus 
I'm your steward. What are you calling me to do? And I think it's important to note that when it comes to God and it comes to the sovereignty of God and the authority of God and the authority of man, there's a passage, and we looked at this on Wednesday, and I want to focus on it a little bit here on Sunday, found in Acts chapter 4. Because in Acts chapter 4, in verses 25 through verse 28, it makes this statement. Peter and John, they, they've been proclaiming Jesus. They've been talking about Jesus. And the religious leaders are wanting to silence both Peter and John in the declaring of the gospel. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, it makes this statement, who by the mouth of your servant David has said. Now, 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 now David is simply speaking through the Psalms, and he, he goes from Psalm 2. He says, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So David, all the way back in Psalm 2, said kings of the earth were, were standing against Christ, like, like Herod. The rulers, like, like Pilate and like Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the rulers of the Jews, they were against the Lord. And as he makes that statement, now in verse 27, after he says they, they were uh, gathered against the Lord, against his Christ, against Jesus Christ, they would stand opposing him. Verse 27 of Acts 4 makes a statement, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. And then it says this, they were gathered together to crucify. They were gathered together to reject him and to condemn him to death. They were gathered together, but verse 28 says this, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined to be done. Do you understand that Pilate was acting according to what he wanted and what he thought, but at the same time, God says, I'm sovereign. This has to be done. Jesus Christ has to die, but understand that he cannot die being stoned. He has to die upon a cross. Why? Because cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. Not only does he take away our sin, but he takes away the curse. The curse that came through Adam, where, where God says, listen, because you've done this, and cursed is this. The world is cursed. Man is cursed. Sin has come into the world. Jesus has taken away the curse, and he's taken away sin, and he's taken away guilt, and he's taken away shame. This is what Jesus Christ has done. And I, I find it amazing that when we look to here, Pilate is making a decision, don't you know that I have power? And God's up there laughing. You don't have any power. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, you will be accountable for choices, but you, if, if I'm going to want my perfect, authoritative will done, no man can stop it. When, when God wants something to be accomplished, he is God, can change anything he wants to change. Now, there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Jot it down or just listen to it. But it says this, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
He says, I'm in charge of everything. Now, God will allow us choices. He will allow us certain things. But understand that there are going to be certain times in our life where God has made a declared will. He's declared his will. This is my word. This is what I want you to do. And he gives you a choice to say, you can walk it or not walk it. You can walk it and be blessed or not walk it and have consequences. But he gives us a choice to help us grow, to help us mature. But there's other things in life and why and when God chooses to do this, we don't know. We don't know when it's absolutely authoritative that I cannot oppose God's will. God is going to have his will done regardless of what I want. Amazingly, when Pilate comes in this situation and he said to them, are you speaking to me? Don't you know that I have power? There is in the Greek two different words for the word power. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes this statement. He says, listen, when I'm gone, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he's come upon you, he's going to give you power, power to preach the gospel. And you're going to have this power. Now, the power that comes with the Holy Spirit, the word is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. It's an explosive power. You're going to have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is a power that is, is, is momentous and active. Now, when Pilate says, I have power, he's not using that word dunamis. There's another word in the Greek called exousia. And, and what that means, it means more of, I have authority. I have the right and Pilate is standing here as the governor says, don't you know that I have the authority? I have the right. The power that he says is, is basically a power that he says is, I can act and think and do what I want to do, regardless of what anybody else wants, regardless of what you want. So when Pilate says that I have the right, I have the authority, to crucify you, I have the power to release you, regardless of your guilt or innocence, I am sovereign in this. When it comes to this area of having authority, the power or the right over something, the permission that says I can do what I want to do, the biblical definition of the word authority is, is understood to describe the, the, the power or ability that's been given. Do you understand? There's a difference that you now become a steward of this role. You become a steward of this ministry. You become a steward of this act, but you, you aren't the authority. A greater authority has given this to you. And so it, it's, it's to describe a power or ability or authority of something that's been given by the highest authority. It's been given to you by God. And, and so it, it, it's, it's the, the warrant, the privilege, the authority to do something, but understand that it is given to you. Man is not sovereign with authority. That we can do what we want to do when we do it. Man is a steward of the authority that God has granted to him.
And it's an important distinction. The Lord gives authority and right, and the Lord takes away authority and right. It's up to him to choose how he wants to do it. Now, now Pilate in this text is saying that my authority is absolute. And, and look at verse 10 again. Pilate says, are you not speaking to me? Don't you know that I have power? He believes that I have power. He says, I have power to crucify you, and I have power to release you. I have absolute power and authority. But look at what Jesus responds to him in verse 11. <clears throat> in John 19, 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power against me unless it had been given you from above. Do you understand? Paul says, I have power. And, and Jesus, no, no, you have to understand, you're not the source of your authority. You're not the absolute authority. Your authority is given to you, and this authority and power is given to you with what? With restrictions and a greater authority directing you. And so we see that here, God is the one who has absolute power. God is the one who has absolute authority. And he's going to give certain power to certain people or certain governments. But understand, he gives it with limitations. He gives it within a sphere of saying, this is where your power is limited to. This is where your authority is limited to. But even when you exercise this authority and the right, you do so not as the one who has the absolute authority, but one who is a steward of the one who gave you this authority. So you don't have the absolute right. And so it's one of those things where when we look to this kind of power, we look to this kind of authority, I want you to just for a moment Turn to um, here, John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, I want to read to you just a couple of verses so that you can kind of understand this, this authority that here Jesus declares. In John chapter 10, two verses, verses 17 and 18, follow with me if you will. Jesus makes this declaration in John 10, verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. You understand? These guys are saying, I have the power. You don't have power. I have power to lay down my life and I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it back up. Jesus Christ. Now you have to understand that when he goes to the cross, when Pilate has no power to release him because the Jew says, listen, he's made himself a king. And, and if you don't stop him from being the king, if you accept his kingship, then you are an enemy of Caesar. And I can't wait to go to Caesar and tell him what a lousy governor you are, that you're allowing another man who claims to be a king to not have any consequences, that you would simply release him. Well, Pilate's thinking, okay, it's either me or Jesus. He was okay by saying, it's you or Jesus, let Jesus go. But when it was between him and Jesus, his livelihood or Jesus's life, he's like, Jesus, you got to go. You got to go because now it's between me and you. And I'm going to choose me over you. 
And I find it interesting that here Jesus makes him, I lay down my life that I may take it up. And in verse 18, he makes this statement in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power the same word, exousia, I have the authority and the right. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father. Do you understand? When he says, I have the power, it's been given to me. I accept the, the Father's authority. He's given authority to me, and I can lay down my life, and I will lay down my life, and I can take it up, and I will take it back up again. When we come to this area... I want you to see that there is a recognition that Jesus claims, I have the power. I truly and absolutely have the power. There's a passage, jot it down. If you're fast, you can turn there in Matthew chapter 27. If you're not, just simply follow through. But I want to share with you a couple of verses. And within these verses, I want you to see the cast of characters. The cast of characters that are in this passage is Pilate, it's the religious leaders, and it's Jesus. And so you have these three. The religious leaders think they have power. Now, they, they recognize what? Well, we have the power. We want to kill Jesus, but they also recognize there's a limitation of my power. We can't do it of ourselves. We have no authority. We have to have Rome do it for us. We cannot take someone's life. And so within this passage of Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62, reading down to verse 65, it, it makes this statement, Matthew 27, verse 62, and on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. All the religious authorities, they now go to Pilate and they make this statement, verse 63, sir, now they call him sir. Initially, they were saying, you're no friend of Caesar, but now they go, sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, verse 64, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Isn't that hilarious? Think about this for just a moment. Who has the true power? The dead man who's in a grave, who said he would raise again. The dead man, the religious rulers, or Pilate. Now here they're saying, Pilate, stop him from rising again. Stop him from coming out of the grave. Stop him from allowing the disciples. You have your own guards. You take a whole troop. Basically, within the Greek, it actually says the portion that there was about 600 men. They have 600 men that can guard the tomb. That's who went to arrest Jesus. You have this troop. You went to get him while he was alive. Keep him in the grave. You got people. Use them. Now, they're terrified. They're terrified because they think, what if we don't have power? What if he actually has the power? 
And they're at this point where they're panicking. And I love the fact that here you have the ones who believe they have a religious authority, the one who believes he has political authority, and the dead man who has absolute authority because he's God. He has the authority to lay down his life, and he has the authority to take it back up again. They knew what he claimed. They, here they're saying, listen, we're, we're, we're terrified because this guy said that he had power. This guy said that he would rise again. Stop him. Use your authority. Use your power. They have no power. And I think it's amazing for us to look at this truth. Now, here's the crux. Sometimes governments, people within the government, people in authority think that they can move beyond the sphere of power that God has allowed and directed them. Now, what happens is they feel that they're sovereign. They can act beyond the authority that God has limited them to and not go beyond being the steward of the role that God has commanded them to fulfill. See, God has given the government certain authority, but the authority is within a sphere, and the authority that he gives them is to protect the, the populace. You, you can do that. You can protect them. But there's certain parts where the government doesn't have authority, where if they overstep that authority and they say, listen, we have authority over you, they don't. Do you understand that the government cannot dictate, according to God, doctrine? The government can't say, this is a new doctrine for the church. This is what you allow. This is what you don't allow. So if the government comes and says to the church that, that, that we need to allow and embrace and, and welcome in same-sex marriage, when the Bible distinctly says what? One man, one woman. And that's the way it is. There, there's nothing beyond that. When, when God gives a doctrine of what it is, the government can't come in and say, change your doctrine. It has no authority, and if it declares it has authority, it's stepping beyond the authority that God has given to the government. Why? Because of the authority of doctrine he's given to the church, not to the government. The government, in, in his word, he gives it very clear authority. You protect the populace. You can get taxes. You build roads. You do those things. You can, you can help the people to live a better life, protect the people by, by raising up police and protect them with firemen. Those kind of things, you can do that, but you can't go and jump from the authority that I've distinctly given you, a sphere of authority, and move your sphere into something else. You can't basically tell the church what to do, when to meet, how to meet. There's a separation of church and state. And what's amazing is this, is sometimes the church thinks that we can move beyond the sphere of power that God has allowed us to have. That we think that we can tell the government what it needs to do. That's not our role. It's to go, what do we do? We preach Jesus Christ. That's what we do as a church. We bring life to those who are dead in their sins. We bring light to those who are in darkness. And we do it, what? With love, with humility, with grace. We do it in the way of the Spirit of Christ, where, where he 
literally would humble himself, not thinking, I have all this authority, I can tell you what to do. Remember now, when they say, who shall we pay taxes? He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God's what God's. The government has an authority, but it's the, the sphere is limited. The church has an authority, but the sphere is limited. And what happens is sometimes the church can move beyond the sphere of power that God has allowed and directed them. And the church feels that they're sovereign and they can go beyond the authority which God has limited to and not go beyond simply being the steward of the role that God has commanded them to fulfill. We as the church, we proclaim now, as a church, keep in mind that we don't have the power to dictate to the government what the government needs to do. We don't. We preach Jesus Christ. And as a church, we don't have the authority to tell you as, as a husband and as a wife what you can do in your own home. Do you understand what, what your worship is in your own home? We direct corporate worship, yes. And you can imitate corporate worship knowing that it's safe and secure, but I can't tell you what to do in your own home. I can't mandate from the pulpit that you need to spend 20 minutes every morning in devotions, looking at the word of God, and then on top of that, spend another 10 minutes in prayer. So I'm going to dictate that 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night, you give that to God. I can't dictate that to you. If you want to do devotions and pray, you are going to be blessed. I can say it's a good idea. But you understand I can't dictate. That goes beyond my authority because God has given the government its sphere of authority and it's only within that sphere that they have it that they can't move out of it. He's given the church its sphere of authority and I can't move out of that. But he's also amazingly, he's given the husbands and fathers a sphere of authority. And within the home, keep in mind husbands and fathers and wives, and mothers, that we cannot go beyond the sphere of the role that God has given us. And, and we aren't authoritative in that role. I, I, as a father, can't say, I'm the king of my own house. I have authority. I don't have authority. I'm a steward of this house. God is the authority. God is the one who dictates to me as, as a husband, as a father. He dictates to my, my wife as, as a wife, as a mother. This is your role. I'm authoritative. And, and we don't have the authority to go beyond what God has dictated to us as far as this is our sphere of authority. This is what we do. This is what we're called to do in our roles. And what happens is sometimes we feel that we're sovereign. We go beyond the role that God has given to us. And then what happens is this, that he says, you cannot go beyond the role of what? Being a steward. Being a steward of the role that God has commanded us to fulfill. He's commanded me to fulfill the role of a husband and as a father and of a grandfather. And I want to be faithful to that role, but I can't go beyond what he's called me to do. Now, I have another role of authority, a sphere of authority as a pastor, as one of the leadership of the church. And so, and I, I can go as far as that. I can come and I can express doctrine. I can come and I can say God's word says, hey, it, it, you're going to be blessed if you do devotions. You're going to be blessed if you spend some time in prayer. But you can do what? You can choose. You can choose. I don't have the authority to make you. 
And, and, and what I can do is this, is I, I, can, I can go and I can say, listen, the government has no authority to come in to dictate to the church what is our sphere of authority. You, you can't dictate to say you can't meet you, because God says, let them gather. You, you can't dictate to say, this is the doctrine you need to now preach. And if you, if you, if you preach what the scriptures say, we're going to call it now hate speech and we're going to put you in prison. Now, 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 they can make those rules, and they can make those things, and they can put me into prison, but guess what? They can do it, but they don't have authority. They don't have authority to make that step. And what's going to happen is this. They'll call it hate speech. They'll, you know, cancel another one of our videos off of YouTube. And, and what will happen is this. I'll go to jail, and I'll start a jail ministry. But all the government can do is this. Something temporary. Remember as we were reading in the proverb, and it was so amazing. He says, what? Because the evil, all their words and all their life is a blip. Gone. It's here and it's gone. You'll be remembered no more. Your words will be remembered no more. And, and what you step up as authority, when you're outside of that authority, eventually God is going to judge them. Just like he will judge Pilate. He will judge the religious leaders. And I think it's so amazing what happens is that, that we have to be careful because Pilate here in, in our text of John chapter 19, verse 10, was simply stating that he was sovereign. I can do what I want to do. I have the power to give life and I have the power to crucify. And, and, and so we see that he says, I have the power. And, and what, what God tells us in Matthew 10, 28, says, listen, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't harm the soul. Do you understand? He says all they can do, the most they can do is take away your life and your breath from you, but they can't take away what? You being with me forever in heaven. And so he makes that statement, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. They only have so much authority, but they can't step beyond that authority. Now, there's going to be a time where, understand, they are going to think of themselves more highly than they ought, like Pilate. They're going to think, I have the power. I have the power to command you to do this. I have the power to command you to do this. And there's nothing that you can do to prevent my authority. And that may be true. That may be true. Where, where they can step up and claim authority, they can step up and claim power, they can shut the doors, stop us from coming, they can do that, but understand what? All they can do is temporarily. Do you recognize that one day we will all be in heaven, and who's going to close the doors of heaven? Who's going to go up to God and say, God, I have the authority to stop worship here in heaven? You can't do that. You can stop it here, but you can't stop it when we're there. All you can do is what? Send us home early. That's the worst that you can do. And, and, and when they think that they're doing us a disservice, they're actually what? They're doing us a favor. Oh, you're sending me home. I have no more tears. I have no more struggles. I'm home. And that's the worst that you can do to me. They think, wow, you, you watch out. We have authority. You have no authority unless it's been granted to you. So we recognize, and I want you to see, it's, it's so important to see that the government is limited in its authority when God chooses to intervene. Let me explain. In Daniel chapter 3, there is a point where, 
we understand that Daniel had three, fan, three friends. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and what happened was this, that, that there is, is a point where King Nebuchadnezzar makes a golden statue. And he tells everyone, when I play the music, I want you all to bow down to the statue. Now, eventually what happens is this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down because the, the, you know, the word of God says don't worship anything, anyone but God himself. So I'm not going to worship this statue. I'm not going to worship you, Nebuchadnezzar, this image of you. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is, is, comes to him very politically, very astutely saying, listen, guys, maybe you didn't understand. Let me help clue you in. All I'm asking you to do is to bow down. If you don't, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. That, that's what you're going to do. And, and, and amazingly, I, I love the fact that here in Daniel chapter 3, and I want to start reading to you verses 15 through 18 initially, because Nebuchadnezzar says, Now, if you are ready at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and you worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship... You shall be cast immediately into the midst of, the, of a burning, fiery furnace. And then he says this, And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? <laughs> you understand? Nebuchadnezzar sovereign. He can literally says, here's a law, and then immediately change the law at a whim. He was the only king, and this is why he's called the head of gold, that he was the only king who was truly sovereign that he could change a law when he wanted. Now, eventually when Darius becomes the king and Daniel winds up in the lion's den, he can't change his own law. He's looking to say, how can I change it? But he had no authority. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute sovereign. And it's important to look at his life as truly the only one whom God had granted a sovereignty to say you can change a law and make a law according to what you want. But keep in mind, you're still accountable to me. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar comes, he makes this, and I want to call them fighting words. He makes a statement like Pilate did to Jesus and you. Don't you know that I have power? Well, here, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the God who's going to deliver you from my hand? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16 of Daniel 3 make this statement. They answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer in this matter. I don't even have to think about it. Don't, don't cause me to ponder it. He said, If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able, now note this, he's able, he can deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. God has the ability. So he's able to deliver us from the furnace, but he will deliver us from your hand. You understand? I love their statement. He can deliver us from the furnace, but he will deliver us from you. So in other words, if we die in the furnace, guess what? We're still not bowing down. We have been delivered from you, and we're going to be with our God. So he can deliver us from the furnace, but he will deliver us from you. But he says this in verse 18. This is what they say. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Absolutely amazing to see where they're at. And then in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar, after he throws them into the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and he sees Literally, after he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around, 
Because God was able and he did deliver them from the furnace. Now, the only thing that happened was this, is the ropes that had bound them were burned off. But their clothing wasn't burned. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And absolutely amazing that when he was there, he says, wait a second, didn't we throw three into the fire? Why do I see four? And the fourth is like the son of God. God had come and intervened and said what? Nebuchadnezzar, you don't have authority to kill these men. You, you can throw them into the fire. That I'll give you. You can do that, but you can't kill them. I'm going to keep them alive in the furnace. And so amazingly, Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the burning fire furnace, and he spoke, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Now, now literally, they said, no, king, why don't you come in? No, they didn't do that. He says, come on out. And as he says, come on out, they do. They, they, they came from the midst of the fire. They literally walked out. Now, they, they were bound when they went in. They're walking out. And so amazingly, as they do this, I, I love what happens because in verse 28 and 29, notice what Nebuchadnezzar does of Daniel chapter 10. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and have yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their own god. He understands. I thought I had authority and now I don't. And this God frustrated my plans. I said, who is the God? And he said, I'm the God. This is amazing to see. And therefore, in verse 29 of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar makes a new command. He just changes a lot of women. Therefore, I decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything against the name amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made in ash heap. And because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So first he says, <coughs> no, I'm going to kill anyone who doesn't worship my image and my gods. And now he says, I'm going to kill anyone who doesn't worship their God. Amazing how quickly his mind changed when he recognized what? Who really has authority. And this is where the heart comes in. And I think when we look to what is, is how God begins to direct, we begin to finally understand a little bit of what God is declaring about authority. Now, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, is going to go to basically the, the descendants of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. And as he comes up to him, there's a point where he says, I'm going to make this incredible feast and I'm going to use the, the, the cups and the instruments that we took from the temple there in Jerusalem. And he begins to do that in a sense, mocking the God of Israel. And it makes this statement in Daniel chapter five, beginning in verse 18. Daniel speaking to Belshazzar says this, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all the people and the nations and the languages trembled and feared before him, whomever he wished he executed, whomever he wished he kept alive, whomever he wished he set up and whomever he wished he put down. <clears throat> Sounds like what Pilate is wanting, isn't it? I can make you alive. I can make you dead. I can do anything I want to do because I'm sovereign. 
And Jesus says, you have no authority. And, and, and I understand, he says, unless it's been given to you from above. But you're limited in that sphere to only what the word of God declares that this is your authority, and you can't go outside of that. And within that authority, keep in mind that there is not a government, a man in the government, a church, a man in the church, a husband or a wife or anyone who can say this, I have authority over my roles. I have authority over my life. Don't you know, God, that I have the power? I can make my own choices. God said you can, unless I'm going to go against that. But you can, but understand, if you choose to do so, <coughs> there's going to be consequences. And this is what we begin to see. So here, Nebuchadnezzar had been given authority. He was given authority that all the other nations would tremble because God says, I'm going to make you a sovereign king. Why? He has to establish a precedence that even the sovereign king isn't the sovereign king. He's under the sovereign God who's both Lord and king. And so we see here in verse 20, when his heart was lifted up, like pilots, like ours sometimes, when we think that we have authority over what God dictates, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened with pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Absolutely amazing that here he says, he finally was cast out like a wild beast, this king who had absolute authority. God says, I'm just going to make into your mind you're a wild beast. You're going to eat grass. Your, your nails are going to grow. Your hair is going to grow. You're going to have no true understanding of who you are until you recognize my authority. And then when you do, I'll restore you. But in verse 22, he says, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You're thinking you have authority, that you can use these cups, you can use these instruments from the temple. And you, verse 23, have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines and have drunk wine in them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wool and wood and stone. And you do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways you have not glorified. You understand God's authority? He said, I even hold your breath. I'm the one that allows you to breathe and to stay alive. I can stop your life at any time. I have the authority, and you don't. It's absolutely amazing to see that here he tries to help Belshazzar understand the reality that, listen, you, you can say you have authority, but you don't. And, and, and so amazing, what happened was this, that, that in Daniel chapter 4, we actually see where Nebuchadnezzar writes that event that happened in his life. 
and, and he makes a statement. He says, listen, God had warned me not to say, be careful that you don't think that you're doing this. It's been given to you as a gift. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar walks around his whole thing. He says, it's just that great Babylon which I have built. <laughs> listen, you're a steward of it. You're not the God of it. And eventually God does humble him and he does send him out as a beast. And then eventually what happens is this. He comes into his right mind and he recognizes a truth that after the watchers humble him, after the watchers bring him down to a place where, where it's like, okay, now I don't really understand fully what's going on. There, there, there's a point where when all these things came upon Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 verse 28 and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar that the end of 12 months he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon and the king spoke saying this is 12 months one year after the watchers spoke to him saying is this not the great Babylon which I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty oh boy feuding words again and so while the word was still in the king's mouth, verse 31, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times or seven years shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he chooses. That the that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and ate grass like the oxen, and his body was wet with the dew. But then, verse 34, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? He has this full and wonderful understanding of who God is. Now keep in mind that you can be godly that you can be a man of God and a leader within God and his kingdom and still have to be taught that you're a steward. I want to share with you a passage in the book of Joshua. And what happens is this, and in Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 through 15, Joshua, they crossed over the Jordan. They crossed over the Jordan. They, they got to the point where they celebrated the Passover. And in Joshua 5.13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? This is an amazing thing. He approaches a man with a sword. And he goes, listen, I'm, I'm the boss here. I'm, I'm, I'm Joshua. I'm the leader of Israel. Are you for us? Or are you not for us? And amazingly, he said, verse 14, no. <laughs> I love this. He said, no, no, it's, it's not, you're not the one with authority here. It's not, am I for you or I'm against you? Are you, Joshua, for me? He says, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped him and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? You understand? I'm not the commander. You're the commander. What do you say to me? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot. The place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Reverence me. And I love it when he says, take the sandals off your feet. It doesn't mean that, that hey, listen, um, your, your, your sandals are all dirty. Get rid of them. That's not what he's saying. You got to clean up your act before you come to me. What he's really saying is this. When he says, take the sandals off your feet, he says, listen, when you wear sandals, if you've ever worn sandals in the summertime, I know we don't wear sandals so much in the wintertime, but when you wear sandals in the summertime, you recognize what? Well, the dust not only gets on your sandals, but it gets on your feet as well. And what God is saying is not that your sandals are dirty, but the same way he said to Moses, take the sandals off your feet. He says, I want a greater intimacy with you. Take off that which separates you from where I am. And I, I, want, I want you, I want the skin of your feet touching this ground. I want intimacy with you. This is the way that God is declaring his absolute authority and sovereignty. Not I want to dictate as this God who says, you've got to do these things. I can do what I want to do. But I'm a God who wants intimacy with you. Do you understand how all of God's authority and all of God's power is to draw us in so he can love on us? That's amazing to me. Now, what do we do with our power and our authority? We use it to dictate everyone's actions so that I can elevate myself and I can humble you. You need to do this and you need to do that. Like Pilate, aren't you talking to me? Don't you know? You need to do what I want you to do. How many husbands do that? How many wives do that? You got to do this and you got to do this. How many husbands and, 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 and fathers and mothers dictate to their children, you got to do what we want you to do? No, we're stewards of them. Here's the one who has true authority. Here's God. And this is what he says for us as a family. And we want to honor him and we want to glorify him. Why? Because he's worthy of honor. He's worthy of glory. And so we don't do this dictating that we have power and we have authority. We're stewards of him. And if you want to know what he wants from you is this. He wants all of us to draw closer to him in intimacy. That's what he wants. He doesn't want do's and don'ts. Keep in mind that Jesus did not come to give us the law. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He didn't come to make us do the law. He came to himself fulfill the law because we can't do that. The law to us does one thing. It condemns us. It says, you have failed, you have failed. That's all the law does. And I love it when, when Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, he talked about the law. He says, listen, you guys, the, the law simply does one thing. It condemns you. It doesn't give you life. And I love the fact that he makes a statement. He says, the, the law which gives you death. It was an amazing thing because it revealed the heart of God that you and I could never walk, but the spirit that gives life, what, what Jesus did on the cross to draw us so we could come boldly and have intimacy with God and a relationship with God. This is everything. And I want you to recognize that when Pilate says, I have authority, Jesus, you don't have any authority unless God allows you anything as a steward, you have to be honoring God as a steward with that authority that he gives you. And as a steward, we do what? We draw people into intimacy with God. 
And I think this is so important. Do you as a husband, do you seek to draw your wife into intimacy with God? Do you as a wife seek to draw your husband with you into the intimacy with God? I love the, the, the psalmist. He says, come glorify the Lord with me. Let us, or come magnify the Lord with me. Let us glorify his name together. Magnify him with me. Be a part of this worship to God that, that my life wants to be. And I think it's so important that we as a church, we do what? Come, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We want to see his name glorified. Come and let, let's draw near to God in intimacy and let's worship him. And absolutely amazing that everything that he does is to do one thing, draw us into an intimacy. That's his power. Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it up again. Why does he do that? Why did God predestine Jesus Christ to die? Because the first Adam, he blew it. The first Adam brought sin into the world. The last Adam brings life into the world. The first Adam, everyone who's comes from his lineage, takes on a sin nature, and is separated from God. Jesus Christ gives you a brand new nature. The old man is, is crucified with him. Then the new man, the new life, you can live with the power of God. But that new life is what? My sins are been forgiven. I can now come boldly to the Lord, and I can worship him. And it's important to always have those reminders that Jesus' blood has paid the price. That you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and worship him. And I think what's so amazing is this. As we look to the absolute sovereignty of God, that he is God and he's going to do what he wills and how he wills and when he wills, that he can make the choices to do what he so wants to do. One passage I want you to just jot down as, as a note taker. Focus on this because in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11, God speaks of his sovereignty. He says this. Isaiah 46, verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. In other words, I'm the sovereign, you're not. I'm the one with authority, you're not. I'm the only one and there is no other. And then he says this, I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure calling the bird from the east the man who executes my counsel from a far country indeed I have spoken it I will bring it to pass I have purposed it and I will also do it do you understand that Jesus says to Pilate you have no authority you have no power you have no right unless it's been given to you and you know what I am going to go to the cross and, and but understand that, that, that you aren't really the ones sending me to the cross. I'm willingly going to the cross. Do you actually think that nails can hold God to a cross? Love holds God to a cross. His choice holds God to a cross. That's the amazing thing that, that Jesus goes, you don't have any authority. You understand that it is God. He could simply come down from the cross. He could literally transfigure himself like he did before the apostles. And he said, I'm God, look at this. And he said, listen, if you're God, save yourself and us. Now understand, if he would have saved himself, he couldn't save them. They could mock him, they could belittle him, but, but he said what? I only want one thing. And in my great power, my great authority, as I created you, I want you to be able to come and have intimacy with, once, intimacy with me once again. 
Not, not, not like the sacrifices of a bull and a goat, which had to be again and again every day and every year. But Jesus Christ has come to shed his blood once. And when he says his blood, that now forever and for all time, we are made right with God because of the blood of Christ. Come and celebrate his authority. Come and celebrate the fact that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. His blood has purchased us. And so what? We grant him authority. Not only the authority that he has as a creator, that he can do it, but now as our savior that he's purchased us and that he loves us. And he says, listen, the reason I've shed this blood is so you can come close. And that's what we're going to be celebrating here in just a moment, communion. That we're going to take the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and we're going to celebrate this, this true statement where he says, when, when you eat this bread and you drink this, cum, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You are proclaiming victory until he comes. And so let us recognize we don't have authority, and he does have authority, but the authority that he has, the power he has, is to do one singular purpose, to draw us who were separated from God because of our sin, to draw us into a place not of just dictating obedience, but a place of intimacy and love and worship and relationship. Amen? Father, we're so grateful for this word, so grateful that you would lead us here to where Pilate thinks he has some authority and he does not. You, God, have absolute authority. And so knit us to this end to recognize that your power and your authority was to do one thing, draw us to you in intimacy and worship. Knit us to that end, we ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen.